is Gunnar Esaias, and then you are listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esaias Foundation and GunnarEsaias.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, DCU, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esaias and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and are not necessarily those of the Boomer Esaias Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. All right, it's Gunnar Esaias, and back for another episode of Breathe In. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Leah, as Tiffany is on vacation this week. She is off. She is. Tiffany's always She's off. on the East Coast with us. But I feel like t- no one travels more than Tiffany. Um, I know. So let's get right into today. We actually have a special guest with us, Doug Simmons. Uh, Doug's 33 living with cystic fibrosis from PA. Uh, Doug, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? I okay. am well. I am well. Um, so thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about it in a minute. Uh, the IVF process with cystic fibrosis. I know you and your, your family is going through that right now. Uh, but first, let's talk a little about you and CF, you know, how you've gotten to where you are today. Um, at 33, you're a bit of the old man in the CF world. It's always a good sure. thing now. Um, so, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I uh, grew up in Altoona, PA, like Central Pennsylvania, by State College. I was diagnosed when I was six months old. Um, I've been going to Pittsburgh for my health care the entire time. Uh, you can see they've taken really good care of me. Uh, exercised a lot as a kid. Played tennis. I actually coach tennis at Penn State Altoona now. I think that's one of the things oh, nice. that's helped keep me uh, healthy. And uh, let's see, I had an older sister. She went through the whole process. Unfortunately, she passed away when I was in college. Um, she did the transplant route. Uh, and it, it was it was a successful transplant. She was kind of like my hero. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of my experience. You know, it's obviously shaped who I am as a person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a school teacher, and that's been a really big challenge, obviously, because I teach seventh grade. And this may come as a shock, but junior high school students are not the most germ-free uh, people in the world. So that can be I a believe it. A little difficult at times, yeah. Think about that. Like, being a teacher, I think that has to be one of the more difficult jobs having CF. Yes, a lot of uh, hand sanitizer in my classroom. I would be Coroxing everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, today's my first day of summer break, though, so I'm on cloud nine right now. Yay. Summer break's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually I coach high school ice hockey as well, so I totally, I totally hear where you're coming from as far as... Uh, you know, the, the germ-filled environment that comes along with the school. Um, you know, wh- how does that impact your health? You know, what, what is that like uh, working full-time as a teacher but also balancing CF? That's probably been one of the most difficult things. Um, my first year of teaching, I actually, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. Um, I was, whenever I was in college, I went to Duquesne, which is in Pittsburgh. So I did a lot of drug studies. So I was going to the hospital a lot. And, you know, that was nice. I had access and they were constantly monitoring my health. Then I graduated and got a job as a school teacher in my first year. It was like my first time, you know, really getting sick. Um, And my teacher's union that I'm in, as a school teacher, you get 10 sick days, and I ran out of sick days. Almost a day, I I can imagine. (laughs) Yep, my 10 sick days went down, and I was going to lose my health care unless I paid for COBRA. 
which was going to be really tragic. But my school yeah. teacher union donated me like 150 sick days. Oh, wow. Wow. So I've been using those over the past 10 years. It's been a lifesaver. That's amazing. My district has been very, very supportive to me. Um, now, how did, how did you so, about, how did you go about securing that? Like, what you know, what was the process to, to, towards you know making that a possibility for you? So, luckily, I, I teach on a, a team of teachers. So, there's five of us to work together. I'm mm-hmm. the reading teacher. Then there's an English teacher, a math teacher, a board geography teacher, and a science teacher. So, at the time, it's different. I'm a, the teachers have changed, but at the time, a couple of them went over to my superintendent, explained my situation, and said, "Can we please?" donate sick days and the superintendent and my actually my school principal who's been great she also went over and vouched for me and they approved it so basically these five these four teachers went around mm-hmm. asked every teacher will you give two days and pretty much every teacher did so i got all That's the sick amazing. days i immediately got my health care back and it really really saved me because i've been using those now for the mm-hmm. last 10 years because i have been you know, it's gotten a lot harder since I've gotten older. Uh-huh. That first year was rough. Then I had, you know, I had about a four to five year period where it was really good. But now I'm getting to that point where I'm running out of antibiotics that I can actually use to stay healthy. So yeah. I've, I've gone into work with a IV. I've taught students with the IV, you know, mm-hmm. at school. I do an infusion during my prep period. So it's been You're like me. That's yeah. what I do during work, too. I'm yeah. like giving patients IVs and I have my IV hooked up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the Make good, it work. You, know, you know, these kids, the students are very, you know, understanding and they have a lot of empathy for that. And it, it is nice when they see you with an IV, it's almost like they realize maybe we should behave a little bit better now than we typically do. That's true. It's always, always your secret weapon. It's like yeah. <laughs> immediately respected. I have, I have the exact same uh, feel. I obviously work at the foundation, but you know, when I do coach ice hockey, um, you know, I, I feel like the, the CF sort of demands another level of respect that, you know, my, some of my other colleagues at the school may not necessarily get for, uh, but they do get respect for other reasons, obviously. But, um, you know, I, I have, I've lived that as well, you know, go to the, go to the outpatient clinic in the morning, get the pick line all set up, go to, yeah, do my stuff there, then head over to the rink for for practice. It's like it's almost like changing your tire, uh, exactly. and that's that's sort of the way you have to look at it. Um, you know, I do try to use those sick days whenever, whenever I really need them. You know, those are things you don't want to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst part's whenever I do get admitted, though, because I feel like yeah. I don't know about your experience, but my experience is if I go into the hospital, I don't know why. For some reason, I feel like I get better faster than whenever I'm on home IVs. Oh, interesting. I don't know, which is it's weird because it's I'm, a lot the, of I'm the exact about, opposite. I yeah. hate being impatient. And I, I do so it. bad I being there too, but and I'm so bored. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I'm the guy who's like never on the floor. I sneak out of the hospital constantly and go down and get food. In oh, Pittsburgh, yeah. where that's not usually food. what I do too. Yeah, so I'm admitted. And I don't know if it's because they give me put me on so many steroids that I have a lot of energy or what it is, but <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> my experience, like, and then whenever I'm out of school, though, that's that's the most stressful thing because I get on. I'm on Google Docs making lesson plans uh-huh. and creating assignments for subs the entire time. So my students right. in grading papers while I'm in the hospital, which we talk. Finding ways to be productive while you're, even while you're sick. Um, right. Very cool. Very cool. You're actually one of the first teachers I've, uh, I've actually spoken to that has CF. I, I think I know one or two others. I know uh, a couple. But, it, it, and you know, it's, it, it's, you really are on the front lines of at least cold and flu season. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, that's an important part of it. Uh, but let's jump right into the topic that we really want to talk about today. And that's IVF. Um, obviously, uh, males and cystic fibrosis can't have children the old-fashioned way. Luckily, science has an answer to this problem. Um, 
So, you know, why, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the process? You know, what are the steps of IVF and where are, where are you now with it? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I got married uh, three years ago. So, okay. important thing- step one. Very important yeah. step one. How long, how long did you guys date before you got married? Um, she's going to yell at me if we get this wrong, but I might get it wrong. It's okay, like general. Three years prior before that, I believe. Okay, okay. Yes. So I'm assuming you guys talked about it. She knew. That's one of the very first things I told her is, okay. You no, know, I'm going to let you know straight up, we cannot have children unless we go the in vitro route. Yes. Right. So I... Ex- she took that okay, because here you guys are. She's, yeah, <laughs> right. Amongst the many other complications that come with cystic fibrosis, that was... Just, yeah, she took that fine. All right. Um, so one of the biggest things that you have to consider, first of all, is before we could even do any of this process, was we wanted to know whether her name's Whitney, my wife, was a carrier uh, okay. of the gene. Because if she was, then our children would have had cystic fibrosis. And I just wouldn't have probably wanted my kids to go through that same experience. Mm-hmm. So we uh, talked to our clinic in Pittsburgh, let them know everything, what we were considering, and they had us do a genetics testing kit through, I think it was this company called Energy Genetics. Okay. So they had Whitney do blood work and they sent that away and returned it. And she, they called, my doctor called Dr. Kluski and he talked to Whitney about all this crazy genetic stuff that went over my head. But he basically, <laughs> he basically explained that it was extremely unlikely that we were going to have a child with CF if we did that. Okay. Um, How long did the genetic <laughs> screening process take? Not very long. Um, honestly, I don't even remember because it was a while. It was before we even got married. Uh, she wanted. I think she really wanted to know. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And so did I. Um, so yeah, I don't remember. I don't recall being very long at all. I just remember him explaining like there was a small chance that one of our kids could be sterile in the future. Like that was the one genetic risk. Uh-huh. that we okay. had as, as if we had children. So to me, that wasn't a big deal. Right. So then the actual process started um, back in September. Mm-hmm. We, okay. we talked to our clinic. We told them that we were going to go about doing it. And they there's really kind of two components to it. There's the male side of things, and then there's mm-hmm. the female side of things. And to be honest, the male side of things is way less strenuous than the female side of things. My I wife is extre- extremely strong and... What I had to do is nothing compared to what she's had to do. So the first thing that they talked to me about is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the process, but they have to get the sperm from the male right. for, for the in vitro process. <laughs> what and the I hell is that? That the big question is, what the I, hell is I that like? I would kind of afraid how they do that, but, you know. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, yeah, because, like, um, 98% of males with CF can't have kids. Yeah. Because they don't have the vast deference. So essentially, it's like the highway is disconnected. um, And they can't, for some reason, you would think they could like surgically fix that, but they can't. So, really would though. Right? With the things, we can transplant lungs. Certain certain things we have answers for, and certain things we don't. It's always my Yeah, apparently they just don't think, yeah, (laughs) maybe because they can do in vitro, they think it's not worth it. But so they recommended me to go to this uh, guy in Pittsburgh. And essentially the process is, well, first they, they made me do blood work because they have to te- check your testosterone levels uh-huh. to make sure everything's okay. Then they take you back for the actual aspiration or the surgical part. 
That's <laughs> if you want to go into detail. Essentially, they numb your testicle region. This is and what then, I kind of figured. <laughs> so that was by far the worst part because I you don't feel any. There was one shot. Uh huh. And you know, gunner like that feeling you get. I can't like really. Stomach, but like inducing pain, like where you just yes, yeah, I know. I feel hunched over. Yeah, it was like that slow over like a six second period, and then it kind of just went away. But yeah, that was awful. And then he takes basically takes a needle, and just continually injects it all over your testicles. If I'm being honest, and I remember I asked him. I said, how do you know you're getting sperm? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Right. Like, how, what's this process? And he looks at me and are, says, I don't. Now, are you, are you awake for this? You are awake, yeah. Like, are you, like, having a conversation with the guy while he's doing this? Or? I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. man. That's, that's, I, mean, I feel like I would have to. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you make, you it, like, do you like make it normal? That's a good question. He, he, has, he had, like, this, it almost looked like... Um, like an evil doctor uh, look? Like a thermometer, well, no, almost like a thermometer slash shot. It was bizarre. He had all these test tubes off to the side, so it looked like a liquid. And then he would he would stab me, but I couldn't feel anything. Thank God. You can feel that. Couldn't feel anything. And then I would hear a then I would hear a click noise, which was him. I assume getting the sperm. Then he would take it and he would put it into the vials. Okay, and he did this numerous times and filled a whole bunch of vials. And that's why I asked him, you know how do you know what you're doing? And he said, I'm just guessing where it would be and hoping that it's in those test tubes. That you is so reassuring know. to hear. Right? Yeah. yeah. Two, that was about $2,000. And, you know, you don't wow. even know if that's going to work, but it did. Thank did goodness. you? All right. So you only had to go through it the one time. You only have to do it once. And that's one okay. thing that's nice is they, they take it and then they freeze it. Okay. They basically, so what they did is the place where... My wife was doing in vitro is really close by. It's in the same city. They take uh, they took my sperm then and shifted it over to the RHS. It's called. How do you go about finding a place to do this? Like, did the clinic suggest anywhere? Okay. My Pittsburgh clinic. Um, there's like three CF nurses who are at my beck and call. They're pretty amazing over in Pittsburgh. And the one said that there's one guy in particular who almost at this point does all CF patients that go to UPMC. He's wow. like the CF guy for this process. I believe um, So, yeah, even whenever I walked in, he was like, oh, wow, they're sending more my way. You know, I'm used to using <laughs> patients. So, like, oh, I kind of know what I'm doing at this yeah, point. He knew it, yeah, he was yeah. just professional. And, yes, I did have a conversation with him while he was doing it, but that was kind of like step one. Yeah. It sounds like a horrendous step one. It was, it was, so... This is how I imagine step one, but, okay. This, this, there was the six-second pain, okay, now, but that wasn't that bad, because it was, like, the numb, the numbingness. Uh-huh. It was the car ride home uh-huh. that was awful, whenever the pain medication started to wear off. Oh, and gosh. then, like, feelings coming back. Yes, that it's was like, like oh, wait, I did get stabbed. That felt day. like one of the like one of those boxing things oh, you see. Man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the best way I can describe it. I was just like hunched over in the car in pain for like a day. Needless <laughs> to say, I did, not, I did not go to work. The, actually, I may have gone to work the next day. I don't remember. I think I took one day. Uh, I probably would have too. I think I took a day. Not that I could go through this process, but you know what I mean, uh, right? God. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> So then what they have to do with, with CF sperm is this process called ICSI, where okay. 
because we that we don't have the vas deferens, the sperm for CF patients, it's like immature. It's think of it as like dumb sperm, where it doesn't really move. They're they're not mature enough yet. So what they have to do is they inject them directly into an egg. So they have to do an egg retrieval mm-hmm. from the female side. So basically, after I did my part, I was done, and it was all moved on to Whitney. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I had to be, you know, I basically at this point, I've just become a support system and I'm helping her by giving her shots, something I'm used to doing from whenever my sister had CFRD. So that kind of, kind of came in handy, but right. um, I'm trying to think of her whole process. So there's really two types of egg transfers for in vitro. There's fresh and then there's mm-hmm. a froze, which believe it or not, you would think a fresh transfer would be better Frozen so far in studies that they've shown is, is actually more successful. But the first thing that we did is we went to RHS and Whitney had to take, they want her to produce a lot more eggs. Right. So you who don't know your reproductive system, uh, a female produces one a month. Okay. So they give yeah. you all these shots. Whitney mm-hmm. I think had to take two a day to produce more eggs. Okay. And they do what's called an egg retrieval where they knock her out they actually put her under for the surgery and they retrieve because you're you're giving her these, these shots to produce so many more eggs and they go in and they retrieve them and i think they retrieved 19 eggs wow yeah and then they take those eggs and they put them into an into a petri dish each one in its own petri dish okay my sperm that are sitting in a bank frozen they then take the sperm and do what's called ICSI, where they take it into these i'm guessing syringes and inject them directly into the actual eggs so it can't miss <laughs> can't miss but here's the crazy thing so okay of those 19 eggs so one thing i just want to point out is that this process is is pretty heartbreaking and can be very very difficult mm-hmm. you know we're still going through it um and we're now over two we've tried this twice and it has not worked out and we're now on our third try. So okay. it's not, you know, we talked, and the funny thing, we talked to all these people who've had so much success, but you also talk to a lot of people who haven't. And, right. you know, we, there's so many other, I just want to point out, there's a lot of other options for CF patients, whether it's adoption. Um, right. We did talk about donor sperm, but mm-hmm. that has no more success rate than regular CS sperm. And Whitney apparently wanted my face. Uh, that, <laughs> It wasn't a big thing for me, but she said, you know, I want the baby to also be yours as well. Mm-hmm. So of those 19 eggs that they took out of her, 11 survived. So okay. they ate dish. And that then, sounds usually how it is from what I've heard. But then what they do is they, once they put my sperm in the egg, they have them in an incubator for five days. <coughs> and of those 11 five of them turned into blastocysts. Wow. Right. So we basically had five eggs. And actually she made 19, to be honest, because 19 is actually a pretty good number. Right, exactly. And yeah. we were a little sad by the five number just because we had such high hopes when we had 19. But right. Then that, that 19 goes to 11, and that 11 goes to five. And honestly, of those five, four of them were good. One of them was kind of a, yeah. okay, iffy. Yeah. So they do what's called a fresh transfer where they wait until it's the exact moment whenever, I guess they have her estrogen level raised and they implant 
those embryos into into it, um, and we implanted two fresh. Okay. So that was the first time. Now one of them was a blastocyst, and the other one wasn't quite developed yet. But they put it in because if you put two in, you're more likely Better to get chance. pregnant. You're also more yeah. likely to they have, have twins, twins. <laughs> of course. Uh, and hey, actually, one and done. <laughs> That's our philosophy, but yeah. that is not the philosophy of most reproductive doctors. They, because of the increased risk of a twin pregnancy, they're they're all about just transferring one embryo. Mm-hmm. We kind of have we've had to fight so far. So the first time, neither of them took. So, and then now how long is it? Like how long is it? You know, do you wait until one? Nine days. Nine. So it's nine okay. heart wrenching days. I can imagine. Exactly. So it's those nine days. You try to. Do, like we went and saw Bill Burr, the comedian, the one day. You know, you do anything you can to keep your your mind off of. Yeah, uh, and I process. feel like stress can't help that. You uh, know, and it's like a catch twenty two because it is. You're stressed out about the process, but stress is bad. So how do you prevent? And trying to tell somebody not to be stressed about this is not. It's not an easy process. That's like the number one rule of anything in life: is if you want someone to do something, never tell them to do it. You know, like right. Like, right. This isn't going to hurt. Don't be scared. Or like, maybe, right, exactly. you, should, maybe you should just relax. Like, if you're telling me to relax, that's, it's not, that's not me with relax, patients all you know? the time. Like, and like, relax, and they tense up. Like, don't know? panic. You're going to panic. You know, like that's kind of exactly. that's kind of what I imagine the conversation to have been like. Yeah, absolutely. So, whenever the fresh cycle, and to so those of you that are curious, the entire cost of this thing. This is not a cheap process. Right. But although neither is adoption, I mean either. Unfortunately, for they're both going to cost you a ton of money. Uh, it's about twenty thousand dollars total. I'd say. I mean, it can range anywhere from thirteen thousand to twenty thousand. It depends on your situation. I know it is a little bit more expensive with ICSI, um, which is the you know the CF process. Another thing worth mentioning is if you do get a transplant. Um, I know that you're far less likely to, to, to do it just because of all the anti-rejection medicine. Okay. Apparently, somehow mess up the sperm. Although I've read, I was just reading a study today about a, a woman who did in vitro after transplant. So maybe that was just her doctor being paranoid. But right. so that whole process, we finished it. And then we still had three embryos left because the two didn't okay. work out. So then we did a frozen transfer. And one of them took, okay. um, which was exciting. Right. And unfortunately, after six weeks, she had a miscarriage. Oh. So now, now but, is it you know are, are women more likely to have miscarriage in this kind of situation than than general population, or is it just, you know just a, a bad bounce essentially? You know the crazy thing about this, and and this is what I was trying to explain. You know, I'm so used to my cystic fibrosis doctors who are so <laughs> everything is just so. And it seems like it's informed by science and uh-huh. that they they have like a reaction to everything. You know, they have ideas right. on how to treat stuff. And everything in this whole process is, well, we don't really know. Because they they can't get people to study. No female signing up to study pregnancy. No one wants to risk their their pregnancy. So they don't have a lot of data. They don't know why things are or don't work or why they do work. They don't know why, for instance, why frozen transfers are more successful than, than fresh. All they have is experience of right. that process. You know, even a lot of that data, you see it's like the success rate on an in vitro is like 45%, but that's mm-hmm. such a huge range. I mean, that's, that's, that's from women that are, you know, 
22 years old and are much more likely to be successful than, and then once you get over 30 and 35, then you have a far less likely to get pregnant, but that's all still in that same category, about 45%. So there's just so many variables to account for that, that you don't really know. And, you know, my, my friends and I were saying, even my friends who don't have CF of my close friends, there's been 11 pregnancies. Only three of them have been complete. There've been that many miscarriages amongst just my close friends. That's a lot. I know tons of perfectly healthy people and they've had more miscarriages than I can count. You know what I mean? Yes. It happens. So many of my coworkers at work have the same heartbreaking thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard thing to talk about, you know? Yeah. So yeah, now we have, we have one embryo left, but we're we're redoing that first process. Uh Um, So when you have an embryo left over, it's a lot less expensive to just do another transfer. Um, okay. It's like $3,500. A lot less expensive. Um, yeah, but, it's still money, but you know. Yeah. Um, but for the whole, so we're going to do the whole process again and get more embryos. Uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. for peace of mind, one thing, because you know, we're only down to one. I also right. think. Well, that is kind of thing. Exactly. And we also make transfer two again and hope for those twins. You never know. Again, right. killing two birds with one stone. Exactly. So now, you know, obviously you're still going through the process. Um, and you, you said September 2017 was really when you when you began it. So so what are we now? We're now nine months later and you're still you're still going through this. Um, and, and, you know, when, when, at what point do you think the next transfer, you guys will try your next transfer? Well, well first of all, we started in September, but the, one of the reasons it took so long is just because it took us even three months. It took until January for me to get booked for that surgery. Oh, okay. They couldn't. They couldn't even get me in until then. So, wow. uh, that was part of the delay. Uh-huh. But yeah, we certainly would have never thought it would take this long. Um, they were supposed to get us back in at the end of May, uh-huh. um, because whenever uh, my wife miscarried, she didn't have to get the DNC, uh, which is essentially when they have to take out the embryos. She did not have to do that. I uh, just kind of passed on it so naturally. Um, but the issue now is that, so they don't want to do any of these procedures if there's any sort of complications or risks. And right now she has a couple of cysts Uh on her ovaries. So she is currently taking birth control, which knocks down those cysts and makes them go down. Okay. Yeah. And we go, she gets her blood taken on July or June 19th is the next step. And they also... Whenever, you know, obviously she was pregnant. So whenever you're getting pregnant, they have this level called HCG that they check. Mm-hmm. That basically, when you take a pregnancy Says test. you're pregnant. Yeah. yeah. The one that's testing for pregnancy is an HCG level. They want that to be below zero before they'll even start the process. So since she was pregnant, we've had to wait a while for that to go down naturally. So okay. hopefully at the end of the month. Oh, interesting. So now, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, it's sort of like the, the, the roles have been reversed from what, from what it sounds like, where this per- person with CF is leaning on the support system constantly, but it sounds like here, you're the one that is the support system for, for your wife, for Whitney. Now, you know, what what has that role been like for you? And all of a sudden, you know, it, it's like a totally different sort yeah. of, you know, way of living, it seems like. I mean, it really is. Um it's very different because, like, I, you know, she's actually a nurse, um, and now she's going to, going to be a nurse anesthetist, but she's, you know, always taking care oh, of me. I'd love to do that. And she'll be done soon. Um, but it is very different. One, one thing that's nice is 
I think that having CF has forced me into a very, I'm a very laid back person, very type B. I don't get worked up over a lot of small things. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the yeah. most organized person that there is in the world. I think that's the result of my CF because if I worried about it all the time, you can't let it define you. You have to live your life. And exactly. you know, without sounding cliche, you know, live your life to the fullest. But in reality, that's kind of what I've done, you know, what I've tried to live my life. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps her because I try to just, you know, relax her. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who says, you know, it'll all, it'll all work out. Cause I mean, you know, it may not, but at the same time she has to stay positive. And I think that's the most difficult thing is trying to keep her relaxed, which now that I have off for the summer, you know, this house is going to be spotless. I'm going to cook her dinner every day, things like that, that, that are little things that will help make her less stressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the giving the shots every day, and, you know, it was bizarre because, you know, I have a port. She accesses my port every month. Whenever mm-hmm. I'm on IV, she's helping me with that stuff. <laughs> now I'm giving her her progesterone shots in her, in her hip. You know, right. So it, it, is a, it is a weird transition. Not one that I'm completely unused to just because of my older sister that was sick. And I you know, helped her mm-hmm. a lot, too. But definitely different, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I can't even imagine, like, the just emotional toll of all of this, you know? Oh. I think that's, yeah. I think that would be the hardest part. It does make you it know? difficult. Not really the physical stuff. It does make it difficult when some people complain about what seems to be little problems, and I just want to be like, oh, it's right. not that bad, I promise you. But, yeah, exactly. But you can't think like that either, because uh-huh. everyone has their own issues. Yeah. Did you guys talk about adoption at all? Like, was that ever a thing that was kind of, I don't know. Um, yes. What made you choose IVF over it? You know? um, if I'm being honest, uh, yeah. more her than me. Mm-hmm. She... she uh, is more into the idea of having our own kids. I think she has told me in the past, you know, if God forbid something ever did happen to me mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. I passed away, I think she wants a piece of me. Oh, uh, I totally get that. Yeah. And that she can look at it and say, you know, this is, this is a little Doug who mm-hmm. I still have around. And even though with adoption, you know, it would, I think we would love it. We adopted two dogs. You know, we have a mm-hmm. And a, and a cat, so we definitely are about adoption. And I think that if this doesn't work out, that's right. the next step. Yeah, um, I, th- you know, I was always all about adoption or, or donor sperm because I kind of wanted to get rid of my genetic history. Mm-hmm. But I, I also understand where she's coming from, and I, and I respect that. Yeah, and happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting you bring up the you know the genetic history and your your genetic code, and obviously you're you know you're going to be passing that on. You know what what is that like? Because you know I think that's something that I you know assuming I have kids one day or try to have kids one day, that's something I'm going to have to reconcile as well. Is you know you you know you do know, and at least I do know that I you we do have a piece of our genetic code that is quote unquote broken, and we're passing that on. You know what what has that been like to reconcile? Uh, definitely not easy. Actually, the other day I was with a coworker of mine and we were discussing whether or not if us not being able to have kids mm-hmm. was an evolutionary response to trying to eliminate cystic fibrosis. Like I, That's very interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah, like whether that's just science's way of saying, look, stop this genetics from continuing on. And of course, right. as humans, we're like, nope, we're too brilliant. We're going to overcome that. Um I think that, it, you know, it is difficult, um, but at the same time, 
you know, if you know, obviously our child will be a carrier of CF, mm -hmm. but with the way that science is headed with, you know, these new correctors that are on the, that are in, down the pipeline, but even more so with, um, I can't think of the name, I'm blanking on the name, it's CRISPR. CRISPR, there it is, with CRISPR, I could see that by the time our child is 18 or 20 plus years old, who knows if that's even going to be something that they can't just take that gene, you know, that chromosome seven gene and remove it or fix it. I'm, I think I'm, they'll be able to. I pray that by then they'll be able to take care of that and that it won't even be the issue that it is today, yeah. hopefully. It's an interesting mm -hmm. way of looking at it. So, you know, we're, we're actually sort of running out of time here. We've, we've actually blown through this podcast. Um, you know, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of start wrapping it up here. What, what would you say to other CF families who are thinking about going through this? Because obviously there are some women who have to go through IVF as well or they go through, uh, you know, surrogacy or things like that because pregnancy yep. on, on some CF women is also very difficult. Um, you, know, you know, what would you say to, to the CF family that is, is, is going through this process? <coughs> To someone who's going through it or is considering it. I mean, well, I, well someone, who's, someone who's considering it, rather, yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is that you just talk to your significant other and figure out uh, what you want to do. Um, I spent a lot of time on the CF Reddit community, mm -hmm. and it is a very interesting, you know, difference. And some people would just, they believe that if you have CF, you should never have kids. Mm -hmm. And then other people, like myself, don't believe that that's the way that you should go. Um, yeah, I and I, I, yeah, I don't either. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think that having a disease limits the amount of love you can give a kid. And no. I would just caution somebody to know that it is a difficult process that can be extreme. I mean, this has been, in all honesty, this in vitro has been more hard on us than cystic fibrosis has since mm -hmm. I've been together, mm -hmm. uh, mentally anyway. And yeah. we've been through some tough stuff mentally with CF. But I would also, I imagine that if this works, and I pray it does, the feeling of success like that, that it would just be unlike anything. I can't even know what it would be like. I can't even bring yeah. the words. But I think that if, if somebody is considering it and they've talked about it, they should absolutely do it, knowing mm. the risks involved. And and how has your health been through the process? I've actually, you know, uh, I was hospitalized once in mm -hmm. March mm -hmm. for about a week and a half. Uh, I got normally I get sick like right around Christmas. I don't know if it's just the winter and the kids that are all getting germy and flu season and stuff. Mm -hmm. But my health has actually been pretty good, which has been nice mm -hmm. because it's almost as if CF said, you know what, I'm going to back off for while you get through this That would be nice, stuff. right? Right. You know, <laughs> if they could just, CF could just stop for like a year, that'd be uh -huh. wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, so far, so good, though. You know, I've been trying to stay active and, and eat healthy and things like that. Good. Awesome. Well, Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been a tremendous topic. Actually, I do have one more final question. Do you feel like there's enough information out there for CF patients about this process, or did you feel like you were kind of searching through the dark? Um, I definitely felt like we learned as we went. Uh -huh. I, I, uh, uh -huh. um, I think the clinic provided me and set me in the right direction, and I'm sure that if I had asked more questions, they would have they would have answered it. I just, I don't think I asked them enough, uh -huh. but if you go out, you can find it uh -huh. on the internet, but I definitely think that there could be more. Right, well, hopefully this yeah. podcast serves as that, uh, that, that mechanism. Yeah, I hope so. Actually, your last podcast that you did on this topic was, I actually ended up calling. Oh, uh, yeah. that 
on the telephone and, and discussing everything with him because oh, wow. he actually goes to the same clinic that I do, so I want to talk to him and see what his process is like. Yeah, so you were referring to the podcast we had last year in the Making Matter series um, where we had we actually had a father on the on the uh, on the podcast. You know, I think I think this topic is, in my opinion, at least, it's definitely undercovered. Um, I think it is. As far I as... don't know a ton about it in terms of CF, you know. Mm-hmm. Mainly what I know about it is from nursing. You know what I mean? So it's right. definitely something I think that needs to be talked about more and be, I don't know, there needs to be more resources, I think. I don't even think the general public really knows what the process is like, not just... No. Like yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly something that I think is uh, outside the public eye and... Um, something that I think, since we do have viable options that, you know, they do occasionally work, you know, that it's something that I think should be brought to the forefront and even perhaps normalized. Um, but that's just my, my two cents on the, on the topic. Uh, so anyways, D- Doug, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to, uh, to sit and talk with us today. Yes, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Um, as for the show, if you uh, want to follow along, make sure you... Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you do. Give us a review and rating. Five stars is the most important thing. Always five. Five stars for Doug today. Um, <laughs> and then you can always follow us on Twitter, uh, which is, well, me on Twitter. I'm Gunnar Sison. You can follow them and the Salty Sisters on Twitter. Uh, our, yep. our Instagram is at Bree. We don't have Tiffany, so it's hard. At I know. Bree underscore know. in underscore pod. That's on Instagram. I'm so proud of you. Slide the DMs. The DMs are always wide open. Uh, again, thanks, Doug, for taking the time to talk with us today. I'm Gunnar Siasen. That's Leah Farone. We will catch you guys next week. Bye, guys. Yeah.